Most store owners think of returns, refunds, and exchanges as a necessary evil, but it doesn't have to be that way. If done well, they could be a huge conversion trigger for your customers. Did you know that 91% of shoppers say they consider a store's return policy before placing an order? That's kind of crazy. So why do you hate it? Because it's a time-consuming pain, right? Plus they're a potential customer service nightmare. Well, not anymore. Bold makes a great app for managing the entire returns process. It's called the Bold Returns Manager, and it gives your customers a portal where they can submit returns, track them through the process, and it gives you a portal where you can review, approve, decline, and manage everything about them. You create all your policies that you want to allow, whether it's returns or exchanges, credits, whatever, and then apply it to what product should have that policy, and you're set. It's got a great backend for managing all the returns, making notes in them, and statuses that automatically keep your customers updated along the way. So stores are always trying to find better ways to compete, more than just on price. And a solid return policy and a smooth way to implement it is a great alternative to competing on price. Especially if you're in fashion and apparel, you know returns are such a big factor. So the Bold Returns Manager app has thought of everything. And if you're ready to take your returns to the next level, you need to try it. You can try it out for free for two months by heading to ethercycle.com bold. That's ethercycle.com bold. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines. And it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from high atop Old Orchard Mall, their fifth floor of the professional building. I could see the Chicago skyline 15 miles as the crow flies from my window. And joining me today is none other than the the wonderful non-American accented Chloe Thomas. And we're going to talk about wholesale. So in the past, we've talked about wholesale for your store in terms of like the the technical implementation. There's an episode, you know, like a year ago, I went back and forth with Ross Alcorn about how what's the right way to do it. Um, and even recently, we've been working with some big brands on setting up dedicated wholesale stores and various solutions for them. And there's a good reason for it. It's wholesale. If you have an existing business where you're you're manufacturing goods and you're selling them direct to consumer, guess what? Fi- as you know, finding products is hard. So there are other people, especially brick and mortar retailers, who would be more than happy to help you sell those things as well if you could give them a reasonable margin. So there's the downside as you cut your margins with wholesale. But 
you're in theory, it's this this entirely new channel in which you're accessing an entirely new audience to an existing proven business. And you're going to add these people who have incredible customer lifetime value. So yeah, we're going to cut down on our our margin per product, possibly by by half or more. But we've got these huge, huge lifetime values with these customers because they're not one customer. They're selling to hundreds or thousands, but maybe dozens, right? Now, the catch, though, is you get you decide to do it. You get past the technical part, right, which we've already discussed. And well, I'll mention a little bit. Um, but then what, how do you market it? And it's, it's totally different from marketing B2C, from what you're used to. So we have someone who has mastered it, Chloe Thomas. She's an e-commerce expert as well, a fellow colleague. She's focused on e-commerce strategy and marketing, like myself. Oh, right, speaking right to my heart. But she helps e-commerce folks make better decisions as they build their path to success. Ah, that's such a great definition of strategy. She's written a few books. She's keynote speaker, advisor, host, a fellow podcast host, always makes for amazing guests of the e-commerce master plan podcast. Ding, ding, subscribe to that. And her latest book is an Amazon.com bestseller. It is the B2B e-commerce master plan, how to make wholesale e-commerce a key part of your business to business sales growth. Oh, Seems like a perfect guest for today's topic, today's episode. Chloe, welcome and thank you. Oh, Kurt, thank you. I hope I can live it, live up to your rather amazing intro of me there. I will do my best. I, well, you absolutely will. And I, I take great pride in those intros and in that I, A, I riff them and B, I remembered to press record. <laughs> so we did. So it's good. Um, that's actually, it, I'm so afraid of not pressing record that I don't think that I've ever forgotten to do it. I live in um, fear of Now that I said too. that, I just do myself. Yeah. The Okay. So, all right. High-level high overview. How are we defining, uh, you know, what's the difference here we've got a, with wholesale? It's B2B versus B2C, but give me the 10,000-foot the view. Define it for me like I have no idea. Oh, wow. A challenging question to start off with. For me, B2B e-commerce, the wholesale side of it, it's about selling to businesses rather than selling to customers. And I think a lot of people immediately think about, uh, you know, like businesses that are supplying huge businesses. But actually, for me, it's it's about any business right down to myself, one person band and where I choose to buy my stationery from. So there's it's that kind of means it's as complex an area as B2C e-commerce is because we've got all those different decisions, all those different angles of how the customer might want to behave with us. Some that behave like normal customers and some that behave very much like businesses with whole buying units and someone signs off the invoice and purchase order numbers and all the rest of that complexity. So there's a lot of different angles to the marketing and a lot of different angles to to B2B e-commerce. But as a simple definition, it's a business selling to another business using the online platform to do it. So we've got really, so B2B, business to business, B2C, business to consumer, but it's a it is a different animal in how those really how those purchase decisions are made. Like if I'm fundamentally in, in possibly any business, if I'm a consumer, when I make a purchase decision, I'm asking myself, does this increase my status or does this solve some clear pain or problem I have? Will it make my life better? Will it make me a better version of myself? And in B2B, those very incredibly subjective personal decisions really don't quite don't exist quite so much. Um, maybe a little bit of like, does this increase my brand value, the status of my brand if I sell your products in my store? Sorry, why? Go ahead. Sound like you had a 
Oh, I was just going to say, because one of the... One of the interesting things I've found is that uh, kind of the key differences is that the consumer is, is, as you say, they're making it very much based on what they like, what they want, the impact it's going to have on their lives. And weirdly, they tend to be able to do that with less interaction with the business, less human interaction. Whereas a business customer, because I guess there's kind of more at stake, there's their job at stake if they get it wrong, um, they tend to need more human assistance as they go through the purchase process. So Guy, um, who runs a business called Ramp T-Shirts, the fastest T-shirt t-shirt purchasing business uh, for, for you know mass printed T-shirts. Awesome, hugely conversion rate optimized website, absolutely brilliant. But 80% of their customers have some kind of human interaction before they hit the buy button. And that that kind of blows my mind, the fact that, you know, they've they've got this website as slick as possible for the business customer, yet still four out of every five customers want to use live chat or pick up the phone or drop them an email. I think what you're right. One of the, the misconceptions people ha- may have, there's a grass is always greener situation where I've got B2C and I'm thinking to myself, man, I've got to like uh, the customer service stuff really can can jack up your effective hourly rate um, or by mess it up, uh, lower it, because you have to deal, you've got these customer service interactions you have to deal with. And the, I think a lot of people's thought process with wholesale is, oh, it'll be easier. You know, like everyone thinks whatever they're doing is hard and I'll do, you know, the other thing I get, they have it better. And it's like, I see it everywhere, like designers versus developers, or even, um, you know, our, our uh, the Kurt Bullock who delivers our Facebook, uh, our marketing fulfillment versus uh, Tom Shedlack, who is our designer, both of them are like, you know, I've heard them both separately go, oh, I wish I could do, you know, the other guy's thing because he won't, he doesn't have to deal with as much pushback. And I'm like, no, no, you both deal with the same amount of stuff. It's just different. <laughs> and then like, that'll always be the case. I'm sure there are pure wholesalers who are like, man, we should just go direct to consumer. Well, actually, factories are doing that now. Um, all right. Yeah, totally rabbit hole it, that. It's No, 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 you didn't at all. Because it's one of the things which which I find a huge conundrum in my head when it comes to B2B e-commerce because it's such a huge growth area at the moment. Business consumers want to start buying online. That's what they want to do. It's increasingly being put in the tender documents to pick their suppliers. If we can't order online for you from you, you're not going to win this tender. So there's a massive growth opportunity there. And what I can't quite work out in my head is whether it's easy to be a business to consumer e-commerce business who are learning how to sell B2B who already understand e-commerce, or whether it's better to be an offline B2B business who are just learning about e-commerce. I can't quite work out which one of them has got the steepest learning curve. That's a good question. Huh. I was about to just jump in and go, well, wholesale, but no, it, like I started dismantling it in my head and no, it, yeah. it, I, I, there's pros I and cons there. I endless arguments with myself <laughs> on that goal. It's like, ah, I don't know the answer. And yeah, and it really, it, it probably depends on if you're trying to pick starting out, it's where does your unfair advantage lie? And almost always it's look at your network. Who are you connected to? And if there's like, you know, if it leans toward one or the other, that's what I would go with. Like if I know... Finding the product is hard. Finding your market and getting that product market fit is even harder. So if you're just starting out or considering this, it's like, all right, who do you have a better idea of or connections to? That's probably how I would approach it. Yeah, I think it's kind of a skill set thing as well. You know, if you're the B2C 
a business owner, B2C e-commerce business owner, and you're frustrated that you don't get to build relationships with your customers one-on-one, then B2B is made for you. You're going to love it. But if you're, um, if you're the B2B business owner who hates tech and who wants to drive around and see all his customers face-to-face before they buy, then jumping into e-commerce is clearly not going to work for you. So I think there's, there's kind of like that skills and aptitude side to it too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you're right. So you need to be more, um, probably more personal in some of these things um, with B2B since you really need to develop a relationship. And people will expect that because in theory, like a wholesale, if I'm buying, you know, even if I'm buying from Apple, I'm only spending, you know, I'm spending two grand on a computer. If I'm a wholesale customer, now I, you know, I and I need to outfit an office and I got to upgrade stuff over 10 years, you know, maybe I will, I will easily spend twenty to $100,000, in which case I better have a dedicated point of contact, a person that I can reach out to, that sort of thing. So definitely, you're right. It is mm-hmm. with wholesale, there's an expectation of higher touch. And if you're not a people person and don't want that, probably not a good idea. So <laughs> yeah. All right. So backing up, you had said, you said something interesting earlier. You said a lot of people when they're, you know, they're putting together their um, uh, tender documents, their requests for, for quotes, do they... You said they'll they'll automatically throw at anybody who doesn't support online sales, online purchasing. How were are how are these B two B businesses that aren't selling online operating? I mean, in, in general, uh, they're either taking orders over the phone. So a lot of them phone up their customers each week to ask for the order. Um, a lot of them have um, an they get a spreadsheeted email. Oh, sorry. An, an email containing a spreadsheet from their customer of what they want to order that week or they get the orders in by email. Some of them, uh, they drive around to see the customer and generate the sales that way. Uh, They have trade showrooms where the customers come in and physically buy from them. And then this one, this one still blows my mind. There are businesses out there, because I firsthand heard about this happening, who are creating a spreadsheet of the products they want to buy from their supplier Printing it off and faxing it to them. You would be, not you, but people in general would be amazed at how many, especially in B2B, how often fax machines are still used. Yeah. It is unreal. It's scary. Well, heck, scary even go, stuff. like, buy, you know, go, uh, go attempt to buy a car in the United States. And when you're dealing, you know, outside of like a CarMax or a Tesla dealership, when they're dealing with the bank or the state, they, there are a lot of faxes sent. It's quite stunning. Um, the Okay. So aside, yeah. we just, we bought a, picked up a, a sedan yesterday. So it was fresh in my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nothing exciting. The, okay. So what, as far as the website goes then, how does a, if I have a dedicated B2B site versus a dedicated B2C site, they're both on Shopify, they're both online. And we'll say one lives at, you know, the B2C site is just, uh, you know, kurtzwidgets.com, but then the wholesale site, or the B2B site is wholesale.kurtzwidgets.com. So we're going to totally separate the stores. What's different about them? The chances are, so in the UK, you would have the pricing without VAT because businesses don't have to pay VAT. So they want to see completely different businesses. Which is VAT being... Value added tax, tax, which is essentially the the your the EU version of uh, our sales tax in the United States, right? Yeah. So even okay. if like the eventual price point was exactly the same for both markets, one wants to see it ink, one wants to see it X that tax. Then of course you've probably got different prices for your wholesale customers. So 
if you have if you want to keep those secret then you're going to have to start the journey with a login which i know is completely crazy to, to those of us who spend a lot of time in B2C land, um, you're going to start with the login so as you can identify the customer and show them the prices that they've negotiated with you or that they've reached the, you know, they're ordering enough volume to, to be applicable to. So pricing is a big area. The, then the product information that you supply them is going to be quite different. If you are a clothing manufacturer and you sell direct to the consumer, then you're probably talking about how this pair of jeans looks great. It's got that cut that accentuates this, that and the other. And the colour is reminiscent of so-and-so's catwalk show. On the wholesale site, you're saying leg length this, made of this cotton. Um, there's a discount if you buy 20. You know, it's a completely different set of information that the two customers want. One wants to be romance. One just wants the fact. And then, of course, you've got volume purchasing because your wholesale customers are not simply buying one unit they're buying in tens or twenties or even pallet loads of the stuff so there's a lot of differences on on the front end then it when it gets really complicated if you thought that wasn't complicated enough is when you get into the checkout because this is where it really gets different in b2b because business customers often want to pay by invoice not by credit card so that's an extra method of payment that you're going to be adding in there. Then, of course, if they're paying by invoice, you probably set a credit limit of the amount that they're allowed to spend until they pay off their invoice. So you've got to have credit limits that are working on your website to stop them from ordering a whole pile of stock um, when they're not allowed to because you're not willing to extend that much credit to them. So that's another level of complexity. And if you want to make it in that particular area, if you want to make it really cool, then you'll do it so they can place the order so you still get the order, but that it won't be dispatched until they clear the balance down. So there's all these extra layers of complexity. And I'm really only just scratching the surface there, but I didn't kind of want to turn it into a, a lecture on, um, on different <laughs> well, website yeah. functionality. And you don't want to scare people, but no. if this, and not, you know, as you're starting out with wholesale, you don't need to do all of these things because we've set up a no. lot of um, several, like at least half a dozen uh, reasonable, dedicated wholesale stores for existing brands. Um, and right, it typically, because of these differences in description and needs and um, various changes, the right way to do it, if you want to do it right, by my definition anyway of right, is you have to have two separate stores. And then oh, once you've got, once well, and a lot of people don't want to mess with it, but you really, you need to have the, the two separate stores. And then we add a layer of complexity in that they're, we put in all the products with retail pricing, but then based on how much the, the person spends changes their, their pricing. So maybe we have tiers for wholesalers like, you know, bronze, silver, gold, um, and maybe some people who are legacy who've been like have special rates or like they're influencers. So we let them buy from the wholesale store too at cost. Um, and then so we need a way to price that. And they have to be logged in to see the correct their proper pricing. Sorry, we've already got customer accounts built in, but now we need an app called uh, Bold Apps Customer Pricing. Perfect for this, so we can set our tiers um, and have our you know and tag our customers. So I tag the say Gold gets forty uh, percent off. Tag customer Gold, they log in. Boom, this app automatically calculates the price the correct pricing. All right, so that's just showing the prices, right? Mm. And now I've got I haven't even. You know, we've yet to discuss like vetting people to be wholesalers. Yes. Do we let anyone sign up? Do we have them fill out an application? Do we show have the site show publicly? Probably not behind a password. Um, and then we've got um, 
All right, now they go to purchase. Well, they're not just, it's not just, hey, pay with a credit card or PayPal, which you want to give them that option, of course. Um, but yeah, they often want, um, invoices or terms, especially as you get into these bigger invoices. And some of them will say, well, you don't, you know, you got to pay 50% now and then you pay 50% in 30 days, but we'll mail you the stuff before then. And they're like, there is a lot to keep track of. So it almost, if you want that full, what you described, that full thing within the Shopify universe, uh, it, it really requires Shopify Plus, the enterprise version of the software, to do this fancy stuff with the checkout. And this is fresh in my mind because we literally have been implementing this for someone, <laughs> um, for you know, a big business that does like 10 to 20 million a year. And a lot of it, you know, a good chunk of that, I would think, is, is wholesale. Um, and that's, I, yeah, they've got... You know, I do think there's some ways on. which the... Kurt, that the that the new entrant into the B two B selling can making it can make it a bit simpler for themselves. You know, oh, absolutely. So they, they can go. We're just doing tiers. You can't have custom pricing, and they and they're in the position to be able to go. Actually, we're doing credit card. If we're the only people who sell it, if you want it, you've got to pay by credit card. So you can take out that whole kind of credit limits and invoicing side of things. So, I think for the new entrant, you can learn a bit from the guys who've been around for a while and go. And when you see something, you go man, that's complicated. You can find a way of, you know, getting your customers used to doing it in a simpler way to make it easier for your business. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Mm-hmm. And the the thing we have found, um, like what I have observed from doing these wholesale stores is the new brands that did not have exist prior, really like, you know, prior to say 2010, they won't do terms. They're just, yeah. we show, you know, if they're in a newer industry, it doesn't exist and they don't ask about it or even think about it versus like older, either older industries or older brands will say, well, they have in, they had invoices then. So we've got you got to make invoices and terms work now. And oftentimes it's for like really um, those will tend to be like much larger purchases um, I've noticed. But so, yeah, like I don't want that to terrify people, but that's yeah, you could you would only need Shopify Plus to do like that crazy invoicing terms set up and the credit limits um and you may not necessarily need that so okay once i've got the thing built and i've Mm -hmm. I've set it up do i let anyone access the site or do i put it behind uh like typically what we've done for all of the wholesale sites we've done where it's a dedicated wholesale site there's a splash page that asks for either a login or just a general password to see it like a storefront password um and then on that we have a we just embed the application form straight into it. Like we've done several of these. It's always two column layout. Left side's like, hey, welcome to so-and-so's wholesale site. If you know the password, type it in. If not, you got to apply. And then we have a wholesale application form. I I think that's the way to go if you've already got your B2C site up and running, because you don't want the wrong customer stumbling upon it. You also don't want it causing you SEO issues with your consumer site with those duplicate right. content and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's the no-brainer way to go if you are existing B2C e-commerce, moving your wholesale operation online or using online to launch it. It gets more complex for the, the business that only sells to other businesses because often um, I spoke to people as I was pre- you know preparing the book and there's case studies of this in the book, is that there are businesses who want to see they want their customers to be able to browse the product because that's they want to the customer wants to see can I get the product before they even 
go about wanting to uh, to make an account, you know, so they want to be able to download the specs of the item or even the CAD file drawings to make sure it's going to fit into their complex piece of machinery before they even try and register for an account. So for them, it makes sense to leave it open, but the pricing and the checkout behind the login. And then there's also other businesses who who sell to a distribution network. So kind of they, they manufacture the product and it's sold by retail stores. The example would be um, Upgrade Bikes who do lots and lots of funky bike parts and it's sell, sold by all these bike shops around the UK. And their bike shop owners like to log onto the website to show their customers things and then place the order for them. So they need access, open access to the website with retail prices but only seeing their own prices as they log in, if that makes sense. So I think there's there are different ways of going about doing it. But for the B2C business, who's already selling online to their consumers, to be selling to businesses, I think behind a paywall, behind not a paywall, but behind a, you know, an, a gateway makes a lot of sense. That makes total sense to me. Once I've sorted through this, I've got the site up, I've got my, my, B2B, my dedicated B2B site, I've got my, my customer pricing in there. How do I go about getting those wholesale customers? Ah, the marketing. Because <laughs> um, a B2B site is just like a B2C site. If you don't do any marketing, no one's going to buy from it, um, which is equally... So this is, even if I have a B2C site and I put a link in the footer, this is what I see people do, as this is their first attempt at wholesale. There'll just be a, a link in the footer and then it goes to a page that just says, we offer wholesale, acquire within kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um you're saying if I build it, they won't come. That's not going to work. Yeah, I'm saying you've got to do some marketing around this, and that some of the some of the marketing skills you use for your B2C site, um, some of the marketing skills that existing wholesalers use offline, are going to feed into this. So there is phone calls, there is walking existing customers through the website to get them to change over to start using the wholesale site rather than faxing their orders in. Um, but there's all, you know, an email marketing is still a big part of it to, you know, to do that nurturing for the repeat purchases to remind them, you know, if you've had a customer who orders every week and then they haven't ordered for a week, you want to automatically remind them of that. So there's there's lots and lots of different methods, many which would be familiar, some which won't be quite so familiar. Well, run me through a few of those. How do I, what should I, what would be your, your go-to number one method for driving, for marketing a, a new wholesale site? My go-to number one would be before you, kind of before you start marketing, to make sure there's a good email sequence going on behind that registration form. So once someone's registered, you want to tell, you want to tell them that you've got their registration and give them some idea of what time you'll be back to them within. I suggest you get back to them quickly. Um, once they've had that, then you want to send them out information explaining your terms, explaining the key things they need to know about your business and why they should be buying for you, just like you would with a B2C site. Tell them those key items. When it comes to a B2B email welcome sequence, you want to make sure it's got in about your your key contact methods. So who's the team? Who can they help with? Like I said about Ramp T-shirts earlier, despite having a great website experience with no sign in before you buy, 80% of their customers want to communicate with someone. So you want to make sure that is clearly in front of the customer as they're getting used, you know, working their way up to placing that first order. So you want that in place. So as any piece of traffic you send to the website is going to get the results for you. Now, how you then go about getting traffic there in the first place? Well, I think there's, there's, there can be an option for emailing your consumer 
consumers and saying, do you love our product? Is there a store you'd like to stock it and see if you can get some interest that way? That's probably like a very cheap method without potentially a lot of impact coming back from it. Then you've got going to, well, it's kind of like with any marketing, you have to find a way of getting in front of the key customer base. So in the UK, if you're doing homewares or you're doing clothing, then you're going to want to go and take a a stool, a stand at one of the big product trade shows. So we have like Top Drawer and Pure. I know there's some huge ones that have just happened in the States as well. And it, you know, if you want to launch and you want to get people to know about your product, you want to be where those buyers are, where they're roaming around looking for products to stock in their store, in their online store and so forth. So investing in one of those and really going for it at the event can be a huge, hugely powerful way to kickstart things for you, for yourself. And then maybe there's trade magazines that you want to be taking adverts in. You'll notice I'm talking about quite a lot of kind of old school offline marketing methods. But these are often the best way to get into the hands of those those business to business buyers. Now that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's a different approach, but one of the nice things about it is it's less crowded than say Facebook ads, which is one of the things that has we have tried and absolutely struggled with doing um, like traditional 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 digital marketing with uh, pay per click ads with for wholesale businesses simply because it is so difficult to target the right person. Yeah. And if you're like in that consumer mindset, it's a little weird to see those those B2B ads. Um, one thing we've never tried that might be clever is LinkedIn ads. Like that would totally let you do it. Um, but I've never had much success with LinkedIn ads. What we've seen be successful for people uh, is a combination. Really like you need to get, you're right, you got to get in front of the person. You need to do some, some hand-holding and some talking. Um, and the all 100% of these successful wholesale businesses we've worked with had dedicated sales reps for wholesale and they would do like they would they would look at as many touch points as possible so they would show up at your they'd show up at your favorite uh trade show and before the trade show they'd have a lead list made they'd send postcards to all of these businesses or a letter that introduced the product and then they Either they'd follow up via then email and then they'd follow up via phone and they'd say, hey, you know, it's like, hey, did you get my our letter? And are you going to be at that that big industry trade show we all love? Because we would love to meet you. And that's it. And then once they're there, all right. So it's this long, the really successful people had this long sales process with lots of touch points. But the end result was always the same. Just get them to go to this darn website and sign up as a wholesale customer. But that's not where it ends. A lot of people drop it there. And you're right. And this is what I had not considered. Like you need to set a lot of expectations and get them comfortable because they're going to be making big purchases. So you've got them. You're right. Like if I'm using an online form, it'd be very easy to have just the confirmation email from the online form, answer a lot of uh, frequently asked questions, set expectations like, hey, we're going to get back to you in X number of days or hours. Uh, we're going to, and then this is the level of service we're going to offer you. Um, here's, you know, your, who your point of contact is. If you have any questions now or after you've been approved. And then from there, um, you just like with everything else, you got to stay top of mind so that they, they order from you and, and educate them on new products and why they're, those are the right choice for their customers. It's, it's interesting because, um, I've, you know, I've worked with a lot of B2B businesses over the years and I interviewed quite a few getting ready for, to write the book and not one of them because I, I quite often ask this question and I asked it of all the ones I spoke to about the book 
um, not one of them in moving from being a B2B offline business to being a B2B online business, where you would think one of the big savings was people overhead, you know, wages, because people, customers can self-serve and you don't need so many salespeople. Not one of them have has decreased the number of salespeople they have. They've just redeployed their salespeople into more valuable places rather than rekeying an order that came in off that fax or came in by email. They're now proactively building stronger relationships with customers. They're proactively finding new customers. And a lot of them are using LinkedIn for this as well. You know, the good old find the right people, connect with them, send them a message, book a call and and so forth. Basic, straightforward relationship building. No, absolutely. Yeah, there's such, there's a ton of value in that. And it's cool. Like, I know some, you're either groaning right now, like, oh, I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> or you're excited because like B2C, you can't get, you can't do out like one-on-one outreach on Facebook and be like, hey, you should buy this t-shirt. Like that would make zero sense and be very bizarre versus with B2B. Not only can you do it, it is entirely normal and expected like, oh, very clever stuff. Well, and, and I think the other thing um, to say there is if you're, if you're currently doing B2C e-commerce, you're going, oh, my gosh, that sounds like a lot of work. Remember, we're not talking about hundreds of customers. We're talking about 10 or 20 customers that you're going to be building this relationship with. And actually, there are, it's an awful lot easier, I believe, to recruit someone who's good at sales than it is to recruit someone who's good at Facebook ads. So it's a lot easier to delegate and outsource this work to someone than it is a lot of what, what we're doing day-to-day in a B2C e-commerce site. Interesting. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I've, I've not tried to hire a, a salesperson, but it's not um, it, it, a much more offline, real world. You get someone who is charming and willing to pound the pavement, and that that can be enough where it's like it's very much a numbers game. If you can get them a good list or they know how to get a good list, that can really be enough on its own. Whereas Facebook ads is this constantly involving an insane digital landscape. Now, the nice part about it, you get very like all kinds of metrics. And when it works well, oh, it, it's quite extraordinary where you get like 10. You know, we've got, uh, I can think of one uh, successful client we have who consistently gets 8x return on ad spend without running a sale. I'm just like, it's unbelievable. But not everyone is so lucky. And even them, they're adding a wholesale channel to do custom private label versions of their products for people. Um, so everybody's getting in on the action. All right. Who makes, how, what is your litmus test for who is a good candidate to add B2B? Oh, man. Um, well, first off, it's got to be if you're, if you're B2C e-commerce at the moment, you need to be selling your own product for it to be worth going B2B because otherwise, why wouldn't they just buy it from whoever you're buying it from? So it needs to be your own product. Um, that's kind of like the absolute number one. And then second, I think I think it would be that aptitude. Is this something that excites you, something that, that you're excited by for your business, something that fits with your strategy for your business? Is it about getting the product into as many hands as possible? and going for volume, which is what you're going to be doing? Or do you want to retain complete control, in which case you should stick with the B2C? You know, I've got one client who have been doing wholesaling, doing all the shows, doing very well with it, and they just decided it wasn't for them, and they've gone back to pure B2C now. So I think it's it's personal aptitude, personal interest, what gets you excited, and are they your products that you've created? That's a good, yeah. And what... um. Well, and part of it too, with it being my own product that I've created, you it's because you need yeah. the margin on it. 
um, to be able to wholesale because you're selling it for considerably less because whoever you're selling to needs to mark it up. So like if I've got, let's say my cost of a good sold is $5, well, then I need to be retailing it for 20 bucks because when I wholesale it, I'm going to be yeah. selling it for, say, 10 bucks. Yeah, it's not a margin um, game. So what, um, <laughs> it's definitely not a ahead. margin game. But of course, if, you, if you're getting that extra volume, yeah, then your manufacturing cost per unit should go down as well. Oh, good point. Yeah. I had not considered that. Hmm. So what do you think is a, like, what are standard pricing tiers? What would be a, a best practice to start with? And I know, like, the initial answer is it <laughs> yeah, depends. I was about to say, how long is a piece of string? Um, I mean, I think where you're where you're suggesting at that fifty percent off retail, that's kind of the industry expectation. So maybe if you're feeling a little bullish, you'd start at a thirty percent off retail, or you go to you know just start at the straightforward fifty percent off retail. I would try and have a look at some other people in a similar industry selling a similar product, and look at what they're doing as a discount, because. Sometimes it's a lot nicer for you, and sometimes it's a lot worse. That makes it is very much industry dependent. I remember many years ago um, when I was a, a product manager at TH Motorsports, I was a big drop shipper, sold aftermarket automotive parts. Not only still around, also still using a web design that oh. I created. Proud of that. Um, at least I <laughs> hope when this episode goes live and someone inevitably checks that. Um, but now we would deal with, you know, we're dealing with the automotive industry. And that one was unusual because you mo- rarely did you buy direct from the manufacturer, you m- unless they were huge. You mostly bought from distributors and they would have like, the distributors would bid on exclusive rights to products. So you'd have to have like all these distributor relationships um, and then buy from them. And they had a thing called jobber pricing. So if you were simply uh, existed as a business, like you were a garage they you could buy a, just a one-off product and still be a wholesaler. So you got jobber pricing was like twenty percent off. And then as you, they had minimums that you had to hit for the year. And some were like you're going to pay us up front for that. And others are you have to meet it by the year or we kick you out. Um, or if you're really unlucky, there was one that would bill you for the difference <laughs> <laughs> that you hadn't hit your quota. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like clear like they essentially no one. My guess is no one paid that. They would just invoice you, and then that was the end <laughs> of the relationship. Um, but then it would be based on like, all right, you got to spend 10 grand and now you get 30% off. And if you spend 50 grand, you get 40% off. And really they kind of maxed out around like it got to 50% and then that was it. Um, and we'd always be like, oh, well, we only want this, but we have to negotiate it. And usually, you know, they would give us at least like the first tier without the, you could get to the first tier without the minimum. It was quite the, quite I mean, the battle. Sometimes you might be charging exactly the same price to the B2B customer that you're charging to the b2c customer you know if you are selling some really beautiful stationery then and they somebody only wants to buy a couple of pens or a couple of pads of paper then they might be paying exactly the same retail price but you know when they want to buy 10 then you give them a volume discount so that of course is the other way to come at the the whole margin game uh and so we're going a little long here, but it's hard not to because it, it's interesting and engaging and I get excited and I geek out and I have this, I apologize almost every time. But the, so the, there are some downsides to wholesale, right? And we have seen, um, so, you know, we, it's not, not this amazing, wonderful thing, right? A, it has to fit you and your business. And I've got so many, so many people have said, I'm overwhelmed. There's so much to do because there's so much great info and tutorials out there. Well, we live in a golden age of information. That's a good thing. But you had such a good litmus test was 
Um, or you said, well, it's your yeah. business. If you're not comfortable with it, don't do it. Like that's when I asked who's a good candidate. And that should like – that's great. That's true of everything. Don't feel like you have to do – get into wholesale because it's an opportunity. You absolutely don't, number one. You should be excited about it. You should be excited about your business. But two, there are some downsides. You need to start um, – you have to – oftentimes you'll – people will have uh, minimum advertised price policies. This is a, like a nightmare we dealt with um, in the automotive industry especially where the manufacturers and distributors control pricing by saying if you want to resell our stuff, you have to – Never sell it below this price. They're very much like a price fixing thing they engaged in. Um, but they'd say, you know, just go, you could sell for less than that, but then you're cut off. Um, so if you're on the other side of it, like you have to police that and find it. And then the people, you've got the customers who are selling, um, who are honoring the rules. And then you've got the customers who aren't. And then they're reporting on it. They snitch <laughs> on each other. Like it's, uh, I can only imagine being on the receiving end of that. Like I hate these people or, you know, if you're, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs are very passionate about their product. Maybe you don't like the presentation someone used to present your product. We had that a few times. Or like I had a business owner once call me up because of a forum post where we, like I reviewed a product and they're like, why are you saying that? Like, oh, geez. Um, so there's, there's some of that that you have to worry about. Um, and then finally, in some of these B2B wholesale situations, the, Origi- well, in most, I would imagine in this case, the original core business is selling online and you're essentially creating your own competitors if you let the people you're wholesaling to also sell online. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add another one into that mix as well, which is there's obviously going to be a delay between launching your wholesale operation and the orders starting to come in, which can cause an absolute nightmare in terms of stock purchasing because you've got this predictable beast that is your B2C e-commerce operation. You know how much stock you need month to month for that. You can make pretty good predictions because you've got the history. And then all of a sudden you get this most amazing order, but it's for the same number of units as you normally sell in your retail store in a week. So it's like, oh my God, all of a sudden you've got to, you're a week out on all your stock because you've suddenly got to ship that to a wholesale customer. You're making less margin, but at least you've got the volume. And so that I guess that they're both very hungry beasts when it comes to stock usage. So that becomes a whole other predicting nightmare, potentially. Oh, I fully I know Jack about logistics and fulfillment on this side. So I I can only imagine. I, um, I often see like the you've got the, right. the person who's in charge of your website and the person who's in charge of your wholesalers, and um, they're kind of like having a fight in the warehouse over a pallet is how I always imagine it in my head. I need these for the customers. Oh, but I need these for the wholesale customers. So it's yeah, it's another another area to think about. Oh, we've seen that, and I felt like the the weird. It, I didn't understand it the first time I encountered it. Um, but it's not uncommon where they will they'll bucket the inventory separately. They're like these are like this this units this pallet's job is customers, and this pallet's job is wholesale. And you <laughs> don't see the other pallet. Like if the wholesale guy, you don't yeah. get access to the other dude's stuff, you know. Or you know if they have the retailer has something is having trouble. The resale tie retail side is having something having trouble getting rid of something, suddenly they get real nice and buddy-buddy with the wholesale side, the wholesale team. They're like, hey, did you, can we give you this extra inventory because we don't want it on our – and yeah, it turns into a whole thing. Yeah. So you've written this uh, a book about this. It's called B2B E-commerce Master Plan. Tell me about it. 
Um, well, I wrote it last year because they're just I just seem to be speaking to a lot of people who were who were interested in B2B but weren't quite sure how to go about it. So it's written for the business who is considering entering the e-commerce space. It's primarily written for the business that's already doing B2B, but you know, 95% of it is relevant for those already um, doing B2C e-commerce who are thinking of switching over. And there's four sections to it. She says hastily taking herself to the uh, to the contents page as she gets this right. So stage one is should you add e-commerce to your business? I think we've covered a lot of points on that today already. Um, stage two is getting everyone and everything ready because there's a lot of prep work. All the A lot of the issues we talked about today are things you need to consider before you start. So I outlined those in stage two. Stage three is about making the website a reality. So how to go about building your first ever e-commerce website, the tender process, what should be in the brief and a lot about the key things you should consider adding in terms of functionality. Stage four is about making B2B e-commerce a success, which is how to plan your launch and the ongoing marketing. So how to go about actually getting people to use it. And then there's also uh, four different case studies in there, a bonus section on successful website functionality and another one on just to complete the full circle. Should you launch a B2C e-commerce site? So that's the um, that's the book. It's available on uh, paperback, ebook, and audiobook from all the usual places online. And I can get you've got a, a special offer here. We can get the first two chapters for free. Where can I go to get? Oh that? yes, thank you for reminding me, Kurt. You can indeed get the first two chapters <laughs> for free at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash b two b. That's the letter b, the number two, and then another letter b. Fantastic. Uh, all right. I, that you've, you've said it all. I am absolutely sold on, on making everyone jump into wholesale if they, they think they would have fun with it. Uh, where could people go to learn more about you? Uh, just ecommercemasterplan.com and you'll find out about me, my podcast, and then you can find all the different ways of contacting me on things. So just ecommercemasterplan.com. Chloe, thank you. Thank you, Kurt. It's been an absolute pleasure hanging out with you. Oh, my my honor and pleasure, absolutely. Before we go, I wanted to tell you about our friends at Zapiet who helped make this episode possible. Have you ever wanted to offer local pickup in your store? Or how about scheduled local deliveries? Zapiet's easy-to-use app helps thousands of merchants do just that, offer store pickup and delivery to their Shopify customers right in their store. They've just launched a massive update that adds a ton of new features. To learn more about it and start your 14-day free trial, and get 10% off if you stick with it, head to zapiet.com slash podcast. That's Z-A-P-I-E-T dot com slash podcast. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high-quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.